Let's turn on our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke today. I want to talk about waiting on Christmas. Simeon of Luke chapter 2 is often not mentioned in the Christmas narrative. And in fact, you probably have shepherds in your home right now, wise men somewhere in your home right now, although you ought not bring them out for a couple of years. You might have Mary and Joseph, but I doubt if anybody has Simeon, the figure of Simeon in your home. But we ought to, we ought to consider him during this season because he helps us to learn and think about how to wait on the coming of Christ. He was waiting on the first advent, the first coming of our Savior. And whereas he watched for the first advent, you and I are watching for the second advent, the second coming of Christ. Intentionally considering how people watch for the first coming of Jesus with righteousness and devotion, which Luke talks about today, really helps us to discover how we might wait patiently on God's return, how we might live our life, what attitudes we have, what we might be doing. Luke is beginning his scripture, his uh, gospel message to us in the first couple of chapters there. And as you know, in the second chapter, he begins to illuminate what it was like when Jesus was born. And following the birth of Christ, he introduces us to the shepherds, the lowliest of all in the culture that God had chosen to announce the message of the Savior's birth. And then right after that, he begins to tell us on the eighth day that the baby was circumcised and he was named publicly. His name Jesus is actually the way it's pronounced in the Greek. It's Yeshua in Hebrew or Yahshua. And it means the same. It means that Yahweh, the name of God, Yahweh saves. Luke is helping us to discover all of that in the first couple of chapters, specifically in chapter two. But then he continues his narrative, picking up on the 40th day of Jesus' birth. Mary has completed the purification period, which the law of God requires for women who deliver males. And after that 40 days, she, along with Joseph, bring in the sacrifice, which was required. It was a lamb that was required, but if you were impoverished, that you could actually bring in pigeons or doves. And as required by law, they brought two. One as a burnt offering and one as a sin offering. And as those offerings were presented, once that 40-day period was complete and she was pure to be able to come into the temple area itself, it was then that they presented Jesus. Every firstborn male was to be given to God, set apart, holy unto him. And they were doing that. And that's where we're going to pick up the narrative today in chapter 2, verse 25 and following. So just take your Bibles and follow along with me. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, 
to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Even though the text today describes the events that occurred 40 days following the birth of Christ, it speaks wondrously to us about waiting on Christ. Now I want to just talk about that today in, in detail, the waiting part. But, but I can't not focus on the centrality of Simeon's message about the gospel. And it's revealed there on the screens. It's when he's holding Jesus in his arms, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Whose salvation? The salvation that is offered by God. It's God's salvation. And his eyes are seeing that. And of course, this is prepared from long time past. It's pre prepared. And now it is seen in the presence of all peoples. Not just select people, but all peoples. What a great message that is. And then he defines it a little bit. He says, it's a light to the Gentiles and for glory to Israel. So both light and glory to Gentiles and Israelites. God's message is now seen to all peoples. That's the wondrous message of Christmas. That God is not giving himself for our salvation to only a select people, but he is offering it to all peoples. So if you're here today and you're wondering about this faith that we're talking about in Christ Jesus, the salvation that is afforded to us in him, and you're wondering if you've gone too far, if you've sinned too much, if you're too distant, the answer is, oh no, salvation is available to all peoples. And God has brought you here by his Holy Spirit for you to hear that message. I believe that he's calling out to people to be saved today. He's presenting Christ the Savior to you today. So Simeon is clearly stating that. But I want to focus instead of that message. We'll talk about that in the coming couple of coming weeks here. I want to consider Simeon's expectation and the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation and how Simeon was longing for that and what he was doing while he was waiting now, if you've spent time in the Gospel of Luke, which I hope you have, if not, you ought to dive into it. It's one of the great texts that you'll be able to read. If you've spent time with it, though, you'll, you'll admire Simeon. You'll read about him and, and you'll think rightly so that this is a man that God has spoken to. This is a man that is longing after God and you want to be like him. He's righteous and he's devout and the Holy Spirit had come upon him and he was expecting the consolation of Israel, the consolation that God would provide to Israel and to the nations. If you know the history of that season, Rome had pretty much beaten Israel down, beaten them down politically and financially and socially and moreover the religious system of the day with all of its man-made rules and regulations being imposed upon those who believed they were pushing and weighting people down yet Simeon had an expectant hope 
He had a wonderful faith about him. He had a joy that was just magnetic. It was a personality unlike others. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, consolation is an interesting word. I can't help but think about some game show on TV and somebody being offered a consolation prize because they picked the wrong door or they didn't get the phrase or they didn't answer the question correctly. But that's not the consolation that he's talking about. Consolation in its original language is from the word parakletes. It's it's coming to lift somebody else. It's coming to bring comfort to somebody. In fact, we often talk about the Holy Spirit who is the parakletos, which is the one who comes side by side to us and, as I like to say, whispers truth to us, encouragement to us, moving us upward, building us up, helping us with truths of God, who we are in Christ and what he's afforded to us and promises and truth of his word. It's coming alongside and lifting. And so in that, Simeon is waiting for God to come alongside and encourage and lift up. And he's waiting very specifically for Messiah to do that. The promised one, the son of God to come and lift up Israel. So he's looking for the day of the Messiah. He was looking for the day of the Messiah because the word of God had promised the Messiah was coming. The prophets had told of that. The wisdom scripture had told of that. God had mentioned it all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that there would be an offspring of woman who would come and bring consolation. I'm grateful for that. Simeon had a real expectation. So he lived in the faith and hope of God's promises and lived undeterred by the crushing difficulties of the world that was around him. It didn't mean he lived above it. He lived among it. And while he was living under all that crush of Rome and the repressive religion of the day, he had faith. He had hope. He had an expectation. There's a lot of pressure in today's world, isn't there? I mean, there's pressures politically, pressures socially, pressures with religions, pressures with your employment, pressures financially. I mean, they could go on and on. We can talk about that. Pressures in the culture, in the sicknesses that prevail in many times and places, pressures. And you and I live among that. The question is, do we have faith and hope? And the fulfillment of God's promises, trusting that God's word is as it is written to us, believing with expectation that God is going to make all things new one day in the future. Simeon was that guy. His character is strikingly rare. It's unusual, but people admire it. And they want to be like him. In fact, most of us are drawn magnetically to people like that who are just filled with hope who are filled with encouragement because they trust God and his word and they draw us to that and pointing that out to us, speaking that truth to us. I'm drawn to people like that. I can't get enough of people like that. They're not the naysayers of the world. They're the people who say, thus saith God. And they bring us to realities that are above that which is temporary. 
They're undaunted by the haunts of the fallenness of the world around them. They don't get sucked into the vortex of the negativity that surrounds us today. They don't sink in the quagmire of the social swamps of today. Instead, they're very different. This is what God is calling for us to do and to be. Maybe some in this room today will rise to that measure. Just trusting God and letting people around you know your trust in him. Encourage them to trust him. Determinedly, they don't allow those things to bring them down. Instead, they lift people around them up. Simeon was characteristically hopeful. As the scripture said, he's righteous and he's devout and he is marked by the Holy Spirit. Just dial into those words because they're pretty important words. Righteous in the, in the legal sense means just. When we talk about ethics and righteous, we're talking about doing things and living the right way. We're talking about living with integrity. And when we're talking about being devout, we're not just talking about religion. We're talking about holding God's word. Not knowing God's word alone, but holding God's word, clinging to God's word. Not just letting it be something about your life, but letting it be your life, devoted to it. I'm believing this is God's word and I'm clinging to it as God's word. He was righteous, living with integrity, and he was devoted to God's word. And the spirit of God was upon him. That's an unusual way for us to know about the Holy Spirit because we know the Holy Spirit, those of us who have faith, we know the Holy Spirit post-Pentecost when the Spirit wasn't coming upon people, but he comes within people. He indwells people. But in Simeon's day, before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And it was mostly to fulfill a purpose of God that had been given to them to accomplish something. And Simeon, the Spirit of God came upon him that he might fulfill God's purpose for his life. Aren't you grateful that for those of us who have faith in God who sent his son Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us constantly, never to leave us, never to forsake us, always with us perpetually. I'm grateful for that. But Simeon was a man who was marked righteous and devout and the Spirit of God was upon him. There's little question then that why people loved and admired this man. He was expectantly hopeful, assuring and asserting God will fulfill the promises of his word to Gentiles and Israelites. His faith made him uniquely optimistic and filled with joy. Even when there was chaos and misery that was abounding, he lived upright without being uptight. He lived devoutly to God while the spirit of God was devoted to him. This is a guy that people wanted to be around and people wanted to be like him. He encourages us to live like that, to be like that. So during Advent and beyond, I want us to be encouraged and to possess the hope and the word and the promises of God and elevate them such that people around us are elevated. So three quick lessons for us to consider. They're for you, written for you in your handout. Pretty easy. Number one, learn to wait expectedly. So if you and I are going to live and have the ministry and the character of Simeon 
then we have to learn to wait expectantly. Now, it's not a big issue, but you and I wait constantly. Our whole life is really marked with waiting. According to a survey by Timex, Americans will wait 32 minutes when they visit their doctor. Now, if you're a doctor here today, we're not shaming you in any way, but hurry it up a little bit, will you? <laughs> 32 minutes? I'm kidding. 21 minutes are waiting for others. And I saw some of you marching across the parking lot today after you dropped off your wives. And you were the 21 minute waiters, weren't you? Timex says that 38 hours every year are waiting in traffic. Unless, of course, they're resurfacing Rainbow Drive, then that goes to about 58 in a lifetime. The average person will spend 43 days on hold on automated customer service. Oh, don't fuss about that. If you do get somebody, it's going to be from the Philippines anyway. <laughs> and you're not going to understand them. So life seems to be one big lesson on waiting, doesn't it? Just constantly waiting. But waiting does not develop us into the character of Simeon. Waiting in and of itself doesn't mold us. However, expectant waiting is different. Totally different if you're waiting for the right thing. Simeon was waiting for the first advent, the Messiah's birth, and the fulfillment of God's promise and God's salvation, God's consolation for Israel. Many of the harsh realities in Simeon's present day continued, but he knew with certainty that a new day was dawning. God had promised, and he would fulfill his promise. There had not been a single promise that God had given that he had faltered on. So Simeon knew that God would accomplish his word. He always does. He was waiting for the appearance of the Messiah. Sure, Israel would be under the constant rule of Rome. That would continue. But a new king was coming who would establish the means for anyone who would have faith in God who sent the king to allow them to be in the kingdom of heaven. He understood that a new citizenship was coming. Regardless of what Simeon and Israel faced, Weariness, prejudice, brokenness, hardship, suffering, loss. He was confident that God was establishing a new citizenship for each of them. So through Jesus Christ, he would give them a new birth and a new life, a new eternity, a new nature. He, God, would impute in them, put into them righteousness where they were unrighteous, providing for them and power by the Holy Spirit. He understood with assurance that their names of all believers would be written in the book of life, that God would pro provide that which he promised. And it takes a strong person to have that kind of conviction. It takes a unique individual to wait for God's comfort with expectation. It takes somebody who's under the pressure to rise above and just trust God. That takes a strong person. You can't just be a 
fake individual coming to church periodically when you feel like it or when you're down. No, no, you've got to be somebody with strong faith who is engaged in God's word. And when you read the promises of God, you mark the promises of God and you hold to the promises of God. It's going to take that kind of light. It's going to take that kind of faith. It's going to take that kind of intentionality. So I'm mindful that some of you are in need of comfort. You're longing for the comfort that Simeon was longing for, for Israel. And because you're longing for comfort, that means that you are longing for relief and you have purpose for the need of relief. Some of you are weary, you're broken, you're, you're catching yourself in sin that you long to be away from. Maybe it's the loss in life that you've just recognized this is too much. Seek out the comfort of God in the promises that he has given to you. He will give you assurance. He'll give you confidence. He'll give you greater faith. So the first advent is bringing consolation. I can tell you the second advent is not going to just bring consolation. The second advent is going to bring recreation. God is going to make all things new in the second advent of the coming of Christ. He says that in Revelation 21, the next to the last chapter in the Bible. Behold, I am making all things new. That's where God is going. So in the midst of your brokenness where you need relief, trust in the promises of God. What are the promises of God? I'll tell you, they all end in this. I am making all things new. Are you broken? Are you discouraged? Are you overwhelmed with loss? Hear the promise of Jesus. I am making all things new. <laughs> Cling to that. Hold to that. And remind people of that. Live your life in that way and people will be drawn to you and God's word. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Prodecami is the word. Pros means uh, forward. Decami means wait. Uh, so when we're talking about Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, it's a very intentional forward anticipation while he's waiting. I I've tried to phrase that in a way and just thinking through that how I might communicate it. Maybe it would be better if I just illustrate it. So our posture has a way of communicating, doesn't it? In fact, much of our communication is by this demonstrative way that we talk or maybe we don't talk. Sort of a posture of waiting. What, what if I did this? Sort of a mannequin in uh, JCPenney. <laughs> That's my best anticipation. <laughs> it's like Kay finishing up the banana pudding. She's bringing it out of the oven. The meringue is toasted. Just kind of waiting on it. That's the forward waiting that Simeon has. He's not just idly waiting. He's not just letting life go on. No, no, no. He's leaning into it. He's leaning forward, just waiting for the Lord's promise to be fulfilled. That's the way God wants us to be. So full of faith in his promise, in his word, that we're leaning forward, ready to receive what he has already told us will be. Waiting with expectation. Secondly, 
Learn to look expectantly. Learn to look expectantly. You're already waiting expectantly. Now learn to look expectantly. According to verse 26, God revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. <laughs> Can you imagine God speaking to you, you will not die before you see this. And the this is the Messiah. Can you imagine how that transformed every day of his life? How everything about his life had to be changed Wondering if today was going to be the day that the Messiah would be revealed. That today would be the day perhaps. Can you imagine how he saw every young family that he came in contact with. Wondering if among them was the Messiah. The one that was promised by God with expectation. He must have looked at every person wondering what God was doing in the midst of their lives. He arose every day with this reminder that today may be the day in which the Messiah will come. And he put his head to the pillow every day, probably whispering something like this. Oh, another day complete, another day closer to the coming of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It just transformed him when he understood the promise of God. And it was given to him that he would not die before seeing the Lord's come. And when that day appeared... His arrival had come. Simeon was not even in the temple to see it. Can you imagine of all the days to miss going to the temple? I see some empty seats in the house today. Can you imagine that God wanted to reveal something to you today and you're not here? That was Simeon. God had promised him you are going to see the Messiah, but yet on this day, Simeon wasn't there. But the Holy Spirit is in control. And somehow, some way, as only the Holy Spirit knows, he directed him. He directed Simeon to go there. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. It could have meant that he sent a prophet to speak to him, a priest to speak to him. Maybe his wife nudged him. Maybe he had a prompting in his own heart. I just need to go to the temple. Whatever the case might be, he made his way to the temple. Can you imagine? I envision Simeon to be old. I don't know that he is, but he's got a friend nearby whose name is Anna, and she's really old. Some people think that she's actually about 103 years old. She's been a widow, and the number 86 is mentioned. Whether she is 86 or she's been a widow for 86, the scripture doesn't quite tell us that. But anyway, he is friends with this lady, this old lady. So I envision him to be old. But man, he is on a beeline. Maybe he's prattling along. Maybe people are saying, hey, Simeon, come. Spend some time. Let's have some coffee. Let's have some tea. No, 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 no. I've got to go. I've got to go. He's on his way to the temple because the Spirit of God told him to go there. He doesn't stop. He doesn't rest. He is on his way to that temple. And when he's there, he must be looking at everyone, wondering, is God moving among them? He's looking or that Messiah. Imagine his look with expectation on that day. Led by the Holy Spirit, he marched looking constantly and insistently in every direction for the Messiah. As I was contemplating this this last week, it just dawned on me that that's the work of the Holy Spirit in each of us. That those of us who have the Spirit dwelling within us by faith... 
It's the Holy Spirit who is leading us daily, directing us, connecting us to the second coming of the Lord, the second advent. He is still doing that today. Every movement of our lives that is directed by the Holy Spirit and the counsel of his word or by the prompting in our heart or by the encouragement of the saints, every movement has something to do with the second coming of Jesus. And I'll go as far as to say this, how we live is linked to the measure of our anticipation of Christ's return. If I'm living faithfully unto the Lord, if I'm living as a devoted individual unto the Lord, if I'm living righteously before the Lord, it's because my eyes are anticipating seeing the Savior's return. And when I get distracted and enamored and focused on that which is temporary, I lose the anticipation. I want this season and beyond to be with anticipation of the Lord's return, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, looking to that eastern sky, which will open up and one day receive us to himself. I'm mindful of Titus who encourages us in the second chapter of his epistle for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And, and how is this framed up? Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See how those are connected? When we live rightly before God and others, it is because we are anticipating the hope and glory of Christ and his return. That's why it's important that you sing about the Lord's return, speak about the Lord's return, and read about the Lord's return because it helps you to live your life today anticipating that. Then number three, learn to live in communion expectantly. Learn to live in communion expectantly. And the current generations of the U.S. culture are often these days elevating autonomous individualism. What I mean by that is just living for the self with self-rule. This elevation of self is where the, the whole identity politics is rooted. It's, it's a real unbiblical way of seeing and viewing life. As a result, our societies are often promoting individual rights fixated on what is best for the individual. Simeon was not in that frame of mind. Simeon was thinking much more broadly. With the biblical worldview, Christians view things differently as well. Our identity is not in ourself. Our identity is not the way we think. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. That's how we are identified. We're made new in him. He possesses us. He bought us with his own shed blood. We are marked by him. We are given the name by him. So our entire identity is rooted in Christ and our life is not the expression of what we think and what we do. Our life is in the expression of the purposes of God which are given to us and empowered to fulfill in the spirit of God. So we view things radically different from the, the way the world does 
We focus on the glory of the Lord and obey the commands of God and accomplish the purposes of God. And we live out that in community with other believers. The fact that we're together today, the fact that we have life groups in this church, we have disciple groups, the fact that we in, are in relationship with each other in a biblical sense, we are because we understand the important aspect of communal living with other saints. It's just emphatic. I'm emphatic about it that it is who we are, we're identified in Christ and we are connected together. You pull outside this body or a body of believer, believers, Bible believing people, you pull outside of that body and you will wander. You'll quickly move to the way of the world. You can't be an isolated Christian. It's not the way God has designed it to be. God has designed us to be in community together. And you know this to be true because the term ecclesia, which is the way we translate church, is actually defined as the gathering of saints. God is meaning for us to be gathered together. That's the reason why Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake that gathering because that's who I've created you to be. You say, well, I can show you even more. Like Jesus says, you are my family and you treat each other like family. I am your brother, you are my sister, you are my brother. We share a joint inheritance of God. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, you are my flock. There's communal living. We live together day and night. So it's just Im imperative that we see each other in community and we live in community with great expectation. We see beyond the individual and we see the hope not just for the individual, we see the hope for the church. We see the hope for others. We see the hope for the nations. Community is absolutely essential. By the command of God, we seek the interest of other people. In fact, Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So you see that in Simeon, who humbly sought the salvation that God would afford to Israel and all the Gentile nations. Not just himself. Verse 25 says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a whole lot more broad that he was waiting for comfort for himself. He was hoping for it for the whole nation. And not just the nation of Israel, he went on to say he was proclaiming salvation to all peoples, this light to the, to the Gentiles and this glory to the people Israel. So like Simeon, I pray that we would eagerly seek God's fulfillment of promises, not just for self, not just for our family, but for the entirety of Meadowbrook. And not just for Meadowbrook, but for all of Etowah County. And not just our county, but all of Alabama, not just our state, but all the nation. And not just our nation, but the entire world. To see beyond ourselves and hope for God's promises to be fulfilled and trust it to be so. And proclaim it as rightfully so. So I pray that we would eagerly have hope-filled expectation. I'm mindful that we should be the most hope-filled people in the world. Let me just let that settle for a moment, Meadowbrook. Meadowbrook should be the most hope-filled people 
in the world. We ought not be the naysayers. We ought not be the detractors. We ought not be the negative ones. Complaint ought not be in our mouth. But instead, we should be the most hope-filled people in the world. Why? Because if your faith is in Christ Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, he is filling your heart with love. He is giving to you joy. Jesus said, I give to you my peace and my joy. So now, love, joy, hope fills us. He has given us insight to the brokenness of the world and its cause and the remedy of that brokenness. He has tuned our voices to ring out the hope of Christ for all who will believe. History is marching forward day by day and we know that we are one day closer to the trumpet sound and the Lord's return. Let us be hopeful with an expectation that God is completing his word and his promises and he is offering mercy and grace and love and renewal for all who will believe. Let us not be deterred by what is happening in the world around us for Jesus said that it would be this way. In fact, Jesus said that it's going to get harder as the world is fixated on the problems and looking for the potential shoe to fall on Omicron or the market crash or the inflation woes or the political mayhem, we must choose to wait, to look, and to live according to the promises of God that Christ is returning and he is going to make all things new. We should be different. The conversations that we have in the office, in the neighborhood, among our friends and our family should be different than that of the world because we're filled with hope. My friends, the world needs hope because the world is broken. God has given that hope to us. Can people tell that by your conversation? Can people tell that you and I are hope-filled by our social post? Can they tell by what you're tweeting out that you are a person who's hope-filled? Oh, no, you don't have to have your head in the sand. You just have to have your heart in the hands of the Father. You have to have your thoughts on the promises of God that are yes in Jesus Christ. We'll still live in the craziness of this world, the brokenness, the fracturing of this world, but our hope is not in this world. It's in Jesus. Won't you let your life be that? So nightly when we put our heads to the pillow and we sigh, another day complete. Another day closer to the coming of our Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can we say that? Just with encouragement, even in our hurt, in our fracturing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a choice, isn't it, to believe. It's a choice to stand in confidence, and it's a choice to share that lovingly with other people. And I believe you, Meadowbrook, are willing, ready, and able to make that choice. May it bring glory to Jesus. Let's pray. Help us, O oh Father, I pray, to wait on the fulfillment of your promises and learn to look for the Savior's return in his second advent and to live in community, seeking the good of others locally and abroad. And Lord, as we do so, may you make the greatest impact 
for your kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.